Welcome, welcome everybody to my church. <laughs> it's Sunday, 5.30, and welcome to Inclusionism. I'm your host, James Felton Keith. Um, here for another heady, what, tumbling down the, the rabbit hole of uh, <laughs> activism and, and politics and, and philosophy. Um, here in Harlem at WHCR 90.3 FM. Um, so this week... We have a very special guest who who just wrapped up a campaign. Correct me if I'm wrong for for public advocate. Is it wrapped up? It though? is. It is wrapped. You're wrapped up. You're I am wrapped up. But You're there's wrapped. another one. Uh, another campaign this brewing. Right. Yeah. So everyone, we have uh, um, David Eisenbach is here. Uh, a lot of you from around the community know him uh, as an activist, as a political candidate, um, but he's. Um, also teaches presidential history at Columbia University uh, here in the neighborhood. He's an award-winning author of three books, uh, The Kingmakers, um, How the Media Threatens Our Security and Our Democracy, and his latest one, our na- oh, excuse me, One Nation Under Sex, How the Private Lives of Presidents, First Ladies, <laughs> and Their Lovers Changed the Course of American History. I got to read that. Um, That's a fun one. Yeah, and um, and uh, he was a host and writer and producer uh, of the History Channel show Ten Things You Don't Know, uh, Ten Things You Don't Know About, excuse me. And uh, again, as mentioned, was a candidate for public advocate here uh, in this this race that just finished up. Uh, a pretty, I think, 
nationally observed race. I think everyone was paying attention to what was happening here in New York for the public's, uh, public advocates race. Um, uh, and not just for, for the winner who, who got his fame basically, um, in my opinion, running as a public advocate of the state in uh, Jumani Williams, but I think for all the candidates, it, it sort of looked like this new Democratic primary for POTUS. Yeah. Uh, it's like you were all in there. Well, what was interesting is I, I ran in the Democratic primary yeah. uh, against Tish James in 2017. I was her only challenger. Yes, I remember and, that. And yes. in between then yeah. and uh, AOC and this this sort of new de- democracy no movement, yes. uh, suddenly we got like 19 candidates in this special election. Yes. No. Yeah, there is a whole new world of political activism. I should also say, folks, uh, she's not... On the mic right now, but Naomi Hollard. Okay, I got that right. Naomi Hollard is here as well. She's a Columbia student and heading up the. Correct me if I if I say this wrong. The local chapter of the Sunrise Movement, with which, if you all are not familiar, um, is the the backbone and producing entity of the Green New Deal uh, documentation. Uh, also, if you're not familiar with the Green New Deal. It's a framework of ideas to reinvigorate the economy, the economy by uh, basically retrofitting everything to be uh, green uh, with regards to how we create energy, how we consume energy, and the necessary infrastructure that produces that, in, uh, that energy. Um, uh, it's right now a, a big policy uh, debate issue at the federal level, but is very quickly trickling down to state and municipal politics, which we're seeing a lot of activism around here in New York, also just here uptown in general. And so Naomi's at the center of that. So we have a lot of Columbia people here at uh, City College uh, this afternoon. So anyway, with with that said, um, David, let's jump right into what you care about right now, like what do, what's what's next? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, during both my campaigns for public advocate, my main focus was on the passing the Small Business Job Survival Act. Uh, this bill was introduced 33 years ago uh, by Ruth Messenger, and the real estate industry in New York City had stopped it decade after decade. Uh, but it looks like we now finally have a shot at passing it this year. So 33 years to pass. I mean, has it? Has it needed any updating? I, I guess I got to go yeah. there first. I'm, I'll be 38 this year. So 33 years ago seems like a, an extremely long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I'm not used to saying that. But yeah, yeah that's, that's a minute ago. Yeah. What's that, 1985, six? six? Is my math good? Okay, yeah. my math is not good. Um, so is it, is it the exact same policy structure that that uh, Ruth presented back in the day? For the most part. Uh, And the basic idea is that uh, all small business owners uh, in good standing are guaranteed a 10-year lease renewal offer from their landlord. And if the landlord and tenant can't come to an agreement, they go to legally binding arbitration. So the rent is still going to go up, but it's going to be a fair market rent, not the 300, 400% increases we're seeing right now. And so... I just got to go into the, the brass tacks of uh, so the the fair market rent. This is based on uh, the fact that what there would be a sort of marketized live negotiation between the landlord and the tenant about what the rent should be. But well, it, there is a series of uh, of uh, you know 
uh, various variables sure. uh, that, you know, what's the neighborhood like, what's the space like, what's the, 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 the size of the space, that kind sure. of thing. Um, and based on, you know, uh, that location and similar rents paid in the area, the arbitrator arrives at a fair market rent. Okay. So, yeah, it's funny you say that because I was just, well, being in politics myself, I was just um, uh, here in Harlem, there's a new uh Harlem uh, wine market uh, around the corner from the new Whole Foods. They're, they're a small business. They sell wine. They're right on, I think, 123rd and Adam Clayton Powell. And I go in there and, you know, I was talking with the owners about what they pay uh, per square foot. And they were mentioning to me what some of the uh, square footage costs in the new developments across the street. And, you know, they said to me, you know, just explicitly how alone they felt um, as entrepreneurs in the neighborhood. And they felt like, you know, as, as rents change and new developments come and go, um, not only are they seeing, you know, wild swings in prices, you know, from block to block across the same, uh, across the street, but uh, they also feel like there's no infrastructure to help them enforce what fair pricing uh, might be. And, you know, he just told me plainly, I, I feel alone. He is alone. Yeah. And, and we have a, the most anti-small business mayor in the history of New York City uh, in Bill de Blasio, yeah. uh, who uh, has been, you know, nothing but an, an enemy uh, of people just trying to, to keep their small businesses afloat. So, so let's say this bill gets passed. In this bill, is it mandating that any resources are allocated for the sort of infrastructure that this this small business guy would need to to keep his store open. Look, I think they they make money. I've I've bought cases of wine from them for for yeah. previously, which is why I was I was in the store, but uh not cases of wine for me to just drink. I'm more of a beer drinker anyway. Sorry. If I was going to buy a case, I'd just get a case of like beer. Anyway, um but it seems as though there's it's necessary to have some sort of um you know policing around um the the, the changing rent so well all we want is to give small business owners rights and <clears throat> a lot of big businesses have built into their lease sure. a guaranteed 10 year lease renewal at the end of the lease so oh, they do yeah okay. this is a this is a boilerplate uh, happens every day, sure. and and a lot of uh, uh, big businesses have a, a, a provision of their lease providing for legally binding arbitration if the landlord and tenant can come to an agreement. So all we're asking is the exact rights that big businesses have in New York sure. City, small businesses will have it. Okay, okay. so you did clear that up. I was going to ask, do you mean that's what big businesses get are the 10-year renewal they um, have leverage. Then the small business owner does lawyers. not. And they got lawyers. Yeah. And, and the small business owner is now at the mercy of the landlord. Um, and he fears the landlord because uh, even, you know, uh, the, the fear that you're not going to get that lease renewal offer. Yeah. Right, because you're you complain too much about things that you're entitled to as a tenant right, right. Is, is something I've heard over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten to the point where the landlords are making more money not renting the space than renting it. A complete breakdown 
of the landlord-tenant relationship in New York City. Can you break that down a bit for me? I mean, I was going to go a different direction yeah. uh, with regards to how we police that. I get that you all are bringing basically best practices into these small so businesses, but how do they make you, more money? You walk around the streets, we all see it. We yeah. see these empty storefronts, and then yeah. we often see that they're empty for years. Yeah, and yeah. we wonder, why wouldn't the landlord rent out that space? Right? And the answer is because... Chances are he's figured out uh, to get a reappraisal of his building based on a mm. fictitious rent ask that he's never going to get. That's why the rents are going up 300 400%. Not because the landlord actually thinks somebody's going to move in mm. to pay that level, but because he can go to a hard money lender sure. with a new valuation of his building, right. take out a mega loan based on this new evaluation, based on this fictitious rent, That's take like that money arbitrage. and then just yeah. play with it. Put it on the stock market, buy another building. He's just playing with a number, right? Yeah. You know, and so many of these, these landlords are so leveraged, they actually can't rent it the yeah. space for less than they put down on they the loan application. Yeah. So what they wind up doing, and this is typical of what happens at the end of a, of a real estate bubble, mm. okay, uh, is they wind up get, getting leveraged. And so the market isn't working. And what this bill will do is it will restore the fair market. So you make me think, uh, so one of my, one of my friends, uh, Chanel Washington, who's up here, uh, she works for the NAACP, but is a, is a huge advocate and activist around the appraisals process. I mean, she's been educating me around the appraisals process and how basically folks from, you know, outside of private firms are coming in to appraise properties, uh, which is incentivizing what you're saying about keeping some of these storefronts vacant. And it's distorting the market in such a way where you're right, they can't actually afford to house a new institution, number one. But uh, number two, it's just it's inflating the market in general and makes for, uh, for bad pricing and puts us in a really dangerous space. Uh, it creates a real bubble. And here's where it's really dangerous. Yeah. Throughout history, whenever we've had a crash of the real estate and stock markets and they always go in sure. tandem, it's small business that's got us through. Sure. Right. We are cutting out that safety net of small business. We're decimating it. So when this market does crash, and believe me, this thing is going to crash, and I think it's going to crash soon, uh, we won't have the small businesses. That's why we need to, to pass this bill. So as a result of that, we're going to see a major fiscal crisis in New York City that we haven't seen since the 1970s. Uh, okay. Okay. So per the, okay. So per this bill, and I'm just thinking maybe – Post bill, I you know I, I haven't read the legislation, so I don't know um, what's in it. But um, does this bleed over into how the Department of Financial Services, et cetera, interacts with the appraisals process? Because it would seem as though that this is a a systemic issue that could be managed. Not that municipalities or states have you know federal reserves of their own, although it would be nice for us to sort of look at rates and the appraisals process to say. We're inflating ourselves uh, to our detriment. But um, who do we use after the, let's say, hypothetically, the, the bill, you know, comes into effect? Um, who are the cops that we use to try and are there any other mechanisms, is, I guess, what I'm trying to ask yeah. that we can use to sort of reduce risk? I think the greatest mechanism is transparency. Yeah. Uh, that, is the, that is the greatest check yeah. on malfeasance. 
So, hmm. and so when when we when we see this the the system of arbitration get set up, and now we have these arbitrators who kind of know what are the rents in the surrounding area, uh, it will just sort of provide a, a rational basis for this market, and the market will begin to work again. That is the promise of the bill. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who are making a lot of money off of this system where there is no transparency, where there are these money games, where a landlord can make more money uh, not renting a space than renting it. And that is the real estate industry, Rebney, the Real Estate Board of New York, and big banks. Yeah, I'm wondering, so my background is, so I'm a... I'm an insurance guy, and so I, I always try to, even though I, I do understand that a lot of people think that, you know, sometimes even insurance industry can be the bad guys. I think in this case, they could actually be a bit of uh, defense because they're, they're disincentivized to see um, these institutions take on so much risk. And then, you know, as they collapse um, or as chaos ensues in the market, uh, who's going to bear the brunt of that risk are really um, insurers who have... Uh, guaranteed, or not guaranteed, but of um, allocated certain payouts yeah. that they may not be able to make. Well, you know who's going to bear the biggest brunt is the yeah. New York City taxpayer. Uh, yeah. We have about a $90 billion budget. I think we have about 3 to $5 billion in the rainy day fund, yeah. right? The budget has grown 20% under Bill de Blasio, yeah. right? So when, and it's and it's been based on the revenue that is coming mainly from real estate and uh, a booming stock market. Sure. When those two things come down, we're going to be left with a huge hole in the budget, sure. and it's going to come out of your paychecks. Hmm. Um, so, so what else? What can we do from an organizing standpoint? I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. So please. Contact your city council member. Tell them you want the Small Business Job Survival Act passed this year. Every month that goes by, we lose hundreds of small businesses in New York City. All right? Every month of delay that we don't pass this bill uh, is a huge blow to our tax base and to just the vibrancy of our neighborhoods. So contact your city council member. Tell What's them the you want again? the Small Business Job Survival Act, or SBJSA. Demand it now. Okay, so... Do you are you familiar with any stats that show sort of the rate of small business growth or shrinkage in the city? Are we well? We got okay. Are we so smaller than we used to. All right. Be? So so in the New York Times, uh, Douglas Elliman uh, was quoted their their head of uh, retail sure. uh, was quoted as saying, "There's a twenty percent vacancy rate in New York City." Mm. All right. Uh, Washington, the, the, the community board in Washington Heights just did a study, Mm. uh, in conjunction with the small business services, uh, uh, and they found a 20% vacancy rate in Washington Heights. Yeah, I see those. All right. So I think we're seeing a 20% vacancy rate, which historically is off the charts. We didn't even see that during the great depression, right? So this is the disaster that is looming for New York City. We don't notice it yet. We're going to notice it when this real estate market comes crashing down. It's crazy that it's just, it's all leveraging. You would think in a place like New York, with the population that we have, that basically every storefront would be full. uh, If the market were were acting like a market should, if we were actually operating in a rational, efficient way, you're absolutely right. But it's not. It's off the rails. And when you say, I think, you know, for the listener, when we say small business, you, you're really talking about retail business, business with a storefront. Because when I think about the companies that I've started, they've all been uh, software companies. 
And and I've always told everyone's, you know, storefront business that I walk into that they they are the bravest people that I that I meet because I can't see myself ever getting into that that sort of business. It's just it it just seems too risky and too expensive. Well, especially now, uh, yeah. because of this uh, real estate speculation. Uh, here you are, a small business owner. You put your life savings outfitting yeah. the space yeah. right that you don't own. Exactly, and that landlord gets it right back after oh. your lease is up. Uh, so, I mean, it's just it would it's a matter of passion. That's why these people go into these to pursue their dreams. Sure, right, uh, and it is the American so dream. People. Yeah, and 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 we, you know we have this mayor who claims he's, you know, Mr. Pro-Immigrant, right? Small businesses are the biggest employers of immigrants in New York City. Small businesses are the key avenue to the American dream for immigrants. They always have been. Uh, So for him to ignore this small business crisis and for it to get so much worse under his watch, uh, this is a real stain on his mayorship. Hmm. And he's well. He's getting ready to run for president. Yeah. So I can't wait because I'm going to follow him up to New Hampshire, and I'm going to go into all those little towns and follow him around to the coffee shop and the the diners, uh, and explain to everybody how uh, do they want the most anti small business mayor in history as uh, their Democratic nominee? I don't think so. Dave, you're going to get me in trouble. I'm turning red over here. It's hot in the studio right now. Um, no, no, this is fine. I, I won't get in that much trouble. Um, so. <laughs> so wait, I want to back up for two seconds. Uh, so, so that so that's one one policy avenue. What? Um, okay, so that's what else is going. Yeah, on. post your post yeah. your run. Well, look after after yeah. we pass this bill, then yeah. I'm going to work on the the rezoning issue. Yeah, uh, the 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 process by which our neighborhoods are being rezoned without yeah. community control. Yeah. Right. We have what's called the Euler process, right, where community boards uh, have an advisory role, but they don't have any power. Explain the Euler for um, for the folks listening. I mean, I get the the objective of this show is to really like we can we can tumble down into the weeds. Uh, So the Euler is I can't remember what the acronym is. It's uniformed. Land use uh, uh, procedure. Yeah. Okay. And so uniform land use procedure at the community boards where the community board, which is made up of 50 members selected by the borough president and city council member, but it's really the borough president's board, each of them. Um, you know, the borough president usually takes uh, a certain number of recommendations from the city council member, assuming that they're not um, politically dangerous. Um, it is a political board. Um, but as those folks are selected, they decide on behalf of the community who gets to bring in new developments. Um, and so, so that's that we're, I think, pivoting a bit from, uh, from the, the bill that you all are, are presenting to city council to, um, just the rezoning process in general. Yeah. So when I think about uptown, what's what's affected up here most is so there was a big rezoning in East Harlem uh, a few years ago, and last year, and still even right now, there's lawsuits on the books about the rezoning process of Inwood. Um, uh, ironically enough, I don't see enough folks from East Harlem and Inwood collaborating on um, on what's been done to them. But this has happened in about. Uh, about eight or so different neighborhoods around the city since the end or middle of the Bloomberg administration. Am that's I, right. That's about right. Yeah. So where, 
what are the things that you think we can uh, shore up in in that process? Well, I, guess I, to I, I think the, citizens, yeah. the, the ULERP needs to be changed to give community boards veto power. That if mm-hmm. they don't like a rezoning plan, sure. all right, and they vote against it like they did in East Harlem, like they did in Inwood, sure. all right, that then it's done. Yeah. All right. Right. We ha- what we have right now is they have an advisory role. So even when the community board says, no, we don't want this rezoning, right. doesn't matter. Yeah, they're just an advisory board. They're just an advisory board. And what you have is a, a city planning commission, sure. okay, controlled by the mayor, the most pro-real estate mayor we've ever seen, mm. which is saying a lot, sure. okay? Um, and they are a rubber stamp. Yeah. Whatever big real estate wants. Yeah. All right. And then they present it like it's an affordable housing plan. Oh, look, Inwood's going to get all this affordable housing. Right. But the fact of the matter is that when you build a luxury tower mm-hmm. with million dollar apartments in it mm-hmm. and you put that down in an affordable neighborhood like Inwood. Mm-hmm. All right. All of a sudden, the landlords and the surrounding buildings start to jack up their rents. They want to get rid of the old long-term residents, replace them with the newcomers, the high-income newcomers. So that's why we're seeing the historic displacement under Bill de Blasio, historic homelessness, Hmm. right, under this so-called progressive. So, so outside of changing the ULERT process, I mean, I think... More than changing the ULERP process, you'd have to change the authorities of the board in general. But that would mean changing a lot more of the other processes because they don't just do land use. They do. They have all sorts of committees. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, uh, not all community boards are perfect. All right. I understand that. Sure. But uh, in terms of stopping what I think is a disaster for Inwood. uh, It's definitely more democratic to give them some some real power. Yeah. Because right Wouldn't now that be crazy? A, a little department. democracy in New York City? <laughs> right? A little community control? Yeah. Um, and, and instead of this farce where we say, okay, we got these community boards, right? Yeah. But uh, they only have an advisory role. So, uh, borough president only have an advisory role. The real power is not only... Well, essentially she does. At this point, it's just... An, I mean, the only power is really at the, at the city departments. I mean, even whether we're talking about, you know... Real estate, whether we're talking about health or education, all the power is really, it's their decisions to well, make. Okay, so ultimately, yeah. the final decision on whether a rezoning happens is yeah. in the city council. But the tradition of the city but council yeah, go, is yeah. to defer yeah. to the city council member whose district has the, the rezoning. Yeah. So, so you get like a 51 to nothing vote on a rezoning. Right. Okay? Now, the problem with that is our democracy isn't working here. Yeah. Right. Right. The reason why you have a democracy where you have freedom to vote, OK, is because it's impossible to corrupt a legislature, but it's very easy to corrupt one member of the legislature. And it's, if the entire legislature is going to legislature is going to line up behind that one corrupted uh, member. Well, of course, we're going to get rezoning after rezoning after rezoning. So. Let's pause on that thought. We're going to take a, a brief break, but uh, I want to come back on what sort of democratic powers, because I like where this is going, that we can give to the, the citizens on the, on the community board. So we'll be right back. Or will we be right back? Let me see. Harlem has its own radio station. WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem.
talking about uh, which real estate policies are better, stronger, faster, and whatever else Daft Punk had to say in that song. I don't know. I like the song. I like it better when Kanye West uh, redid it, but we can't play Kanye West here on this station, folks. Um, It's a little bit too risque. Um, So we're back with David, and we we left off with... um, Potential reforms at the at yeah. the community board level, and thinking about uh, how we can give them more democratic power, right. or how we can shore up our democracy as a result. Right. Let's finish that thought, and then let's let's tumble into tumble down the rabbit hole of what some of these rezonings look like, where they are, uh, if there are specific projects in these rezonings that that threaten the communities. Uh, uh, themselves and um, and what we can do. Let's get the fight over re- yeah. the rezonings and bringing democracy yeah. and community control to rezoning. Uh, just like with the small business, is a fight over New York City's soul, and we are selling out our soul to big real estate. 
Um, there are two projects coming up uh, that are absolutely appalling. Uh, on May 2nd at City Hall, the City Council will be hearing a public hearing on the Elizabeth Street Garden project. Hmm. Uh, this plan to build uh, a luxury tower with some affordable housing uh, on this precious, you know, little over an acre, uh, beautiful park uh, on, uh, on Elizabeth Street. Uh, and, and this is, you know, those of you who know, and if you just, just Google it, take a look at, at the Elizabeth Street Garden, it's this precious oasis that's just weird, you know, it's like you walk down the street and you're it, totally unexpected, uh, that you would have this, this plot of land open to the public. Uh, and, uh, it's just, it's, it's a New York City treasure, sure. but of course, uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, wants to see it developed. And and this is, again, you know, the, the community board voted against it. It's got overwhelming opposition within the community, uh, but it doesn't matter because big real estate wants that land. Uh, we saw we seeing a similar thing uh, with these luxury towers that are proposed for Franklin Avenue uh, in Crown Heights. Uh, they're going to build these towers that are going to cast shadows across the Brooklyn Botanical Garden, right? And not only that, it's going to cast shadows across the uh, 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 school playground, uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, on the, at the, in the evening, right? And along with this, uh, it's going to lead to massive displacement uh, in Crown Heights. But the so, fact, this, this is why, what I'm focused on right well, now. So I do, well, specifically that in Crown Heights, I remember the, you know, during the Inwood rezoning last year, one of the biggest arguments that the Met was making was that uh, new developments and new rezoning would cast a shadow over the cloisters. And anyway, we know that 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 rezoning uh, still went through, even though there are some interesting lawsuits around equity in the rezoning. um, The reality is that the rezoning is still happening. And so is is the objective, one, to quash the rezoning altogether, or is the objective, two, to better manage the implementation of the of projects from the rezoning while considering cultural assets like the ones that you're yeah mentioning well you know let's you know once we get rid of these green spaces they're not coming back right and 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 the uh brooklyn botanical garden uh at the public hearing testified okay these are their scientists and their their managers Mm -hmm. that they will lose 50 species of plants Mm. as a result of this Okay. Just from the lack of light or the, from the, the, the lack from the shadows uh, that will be blocked uh, or will block out the light, the morning sunshine. Huh. All right. Uh, as a result of this, they're going to have to use uh, more pesticides within the buildings. These are the greenhouse buildings. Oh. Uh, so this will expose their workers uh, to to you know potentially uh, uh, chemical damage. Sure. All right. Uh, and and so what we what we're hearing here is this great cultural institution that was left to us a hundred years ago as a trust. Yeah. And we are selling it out. Hmm. I mean, so what are the counter arguments to that? Are they, are the developers saying, or do we know any of their counter arguments? Oh man. Okay. So here, here we go. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to go. Well, it's, you you saw it. It's exactly what happened with East Harlem and Inwood. Uh, Their counter argument is, we're doing this rezoning so that we can provide affordable housing. Right. All right. Uh, well, we know affordable housing is not affordable, or at least on this show. We. we so know. you've talked about that, of yeah. course, right? Um, 
and the, the whole question about affordable for who? Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, and and so we have that. Campaign, it is a campaign. Uh, movement for the people. And by the way, but do they I, I use just, affordable for who? Yeah, let me. That's yeah, a, they do. Okay. Yeah, they All do. Right. And and by the way, I, I I've learned everything uh, about this this subject from Alicia Boyd. Yeah. Uh, head of movement for the people in Crown Heights, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's been stopping these projects in her neighborhood uh, for for years, and um, and and hats off to her. Yeah. Um, but uh, so their counter argument, and I'm talking about the the developers working in conjunction with the the De Blasio administration, is that we are providing affordable housing. Um, but what they're not saying is that once again, when you build a luxury tower in an affordable neighborhood. Mm. For every affordable apartment you create in the set-asides, you mm-hmm. know, 30% set-aside in the, the building, you lead matter. to the uh, uh, landlords in the surrounding buildings jacking up their rents and displacing yeah. people from affordable uh, um, apartments. I mean, yeah, it definitely has uh, market ripple effects. And so, hmm. And not only that, we're, we're, we, we wind up, uh, displacing mainly people of color, and yeah. th- this is the fact that that the target neighborhoods, yeah. right, are Crown Heights, East sure. Harlem, Inwood, Washington Heights, right. Not a coincidence, right? I think that was the main argument that uh, you know, I think people like Carla Fisk uh, and and Phil, her husband, were were making in Inwood. Uh, I think part of their lawsuit had to do with really like racial equity. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and, and this, this lawsuit, I was, I was down there with yeah. Robert Jackson. Yeah. Uh, who yeah, has Robert been J. It turns very into supportive. A issue. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to, they're taking it to the courts. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually going to have the, the courts weigh in. And, and, you know, the fact is we we do see displacement, uh, mainly falling on the shoulders of people of color. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the question will then be, you know, what are the courts going to do about it? Well, yeah, because, I mean, if they, like, I am watching this suit <coughs> in, uh, in Inwood closely because I'm wondering if it'll create a precedent for, for the rest of the city. For the country. Yeah. Well, yeah. But can it? I mean, uh, well, and, well, you if, still have to argue each one of those. Well, and, well, this is, you know, yeah. th- this would be a revolutionary yeah. uh, moment. If this lawsuit and hats off to uh, Phil Simpson, yeah, and, Phil, yeah. and Carla uh, Fisk, who are heroes, and Robert, of mine. he's been a good, yeah, and Robert champion. and Lena Melendez, yeah. and and the, the the rest of the people who mm-hmm. have you know rose up in Inwood to fight that rezoning. Yeah, uh, they're an inspiration for me. Um, that that they have launched this lawsuit because the implications we know the facts yeah. that it's mainly communities of color that are being targeted mainly they are becoming the victims of the mass historic displacement right the question will be will the federal courts jump in and say this is wrong this is this is a violation of our constitutional rights the craziest piece of this is that a lot of their elected officials though are also people of color who are let this flounder like the inwood stuff could have been stopped very easily if the council member at the time said, we're not putting up with this, but he kept going back to the, the affordable housing yeah. toolkit where, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. look, man, uh, sellouts yeah. come in all colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in right. this town, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and so that, that's why, you know, the, our fight for community control. Yeah. So that it, it's not just one city council member that decides for the 50 others, right? That's yeah. absurd. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're really making me think more. I'm I'm a bit embarrassed to say I hadn't thought much about how these advisory boards can be leveraged and, and given more power. Um, I mean, they're definitely there to 
you know, I think when you first come to New York, like older activists in New York, I know when I when I got here, everyone was saying, well, you should you should do that. You should join community board, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, work your way up. It's kind of like mm-hmm. you're, you're a kid. You come on the advisory board and you figure yeah. out how to get to the board of directors and you have some real sway and then you go from there. and Then you're in the executive suite, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you just worry like, well. Will that actually be impactful, you know, enough? Um, and that's that's how the Democratic machine wants you to to yeah. get involved in politics, right? Oh, yeah. They, they so, want to so you, right? Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then filter you. Uh, they definitely don't want to lose cannons yeah. on the ship here. By the time you can do anything, you're, yeah, you're right? them. You're, you're you one of them. Look in the mirror, that's, you're like, right. Oh. that's right. That's yeah. right. And we had this great <laughs> idea, and I'm still in favor of the term limits, but the term limits haven't stopped the corruption. Uh, at all, yeah, no, will they? Right, because, and they uh, haven't put a dent in the machine. In fact, yeah. the, they've in many ways strengthened the machine. These term limits because these yeah, city council members it. are not independent, yeah. and they always have to be thinking of the next move. And in order to make that next move, they need the money coming from big real estate. So they're going to sell out their communities every time. Yeah, at the local level, they don't really have a whole lot of tools in their toolkit to go outside of real estate to raise funds. Um, hey, man, I'll tell you, I'm, yeah. I, you know, like, I'm a lousy fundraiser myself, yeah. right? Uh, if you don't have access to big real estate money in this, in this city, city you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're not going to get the big bucks yeah. coming in. And then you're not going to win. And because the, the media is not going to pay attention to you. Yeah. So even if you do have great ideas, if you don't have the campaign war chest, yeah. the New York Times, the Daily News, and the New York Post are not going to give you any respect. Yeah. So. Uh, and so. forget about New York One. Right, those people. Oh, forget about it. Right. This this great institution of uh, New York media. Oh. Yeah. And uh, talk about tied in with real estate interests. Really. And, yeah. Call them out. I mean, yeah, you can, well, yeah, you can do that here. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm just laughing because I keep thinking about, uh, anyway, so many, I guess, really not so funny uh, scenarios. But um, all right. So per the rezonings, yeah. if we were able to um, rebrand and empower the community boards, um, then what would some of the strategies be to sort of uh, suppress the radical change? Because I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not against, you know, change. I think, you know, change is constant. We, you know, we, that's just a fact. But uh, I think the biggest problem, at least how we talk here in, in Harlem, is there's just absolutely no equity in the change, in the change that's happening. I've yeah. heard multiple elected officials. I've actually been at events with elected officials where they literally come out and blast the crowd about how they're not prepared for change. And they say, you know, our people need to be with the change. I was like, I, I don't think that anyone is against the change. Everyone's just like, where's my piece? If we're changing, you know, how am I playing here yeah. as we change? And, where's and, my equity because and, I was here and made this place interesting, you know. It's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. I see a lot of new faces around my neighborhood in general. And sometimes, you know, it's Harlem. I'm wearing, a lot of people here, wearing way too much suit. And so the tourists pop off the bus and say, you know, I love, you know, what you're doing, what you're wearing. It's a bit of a cultural spectacle. And I just, I, I can't help but thinking all the time, like, if I am, you know, the awesome spectacle, if I'm, if I'm the zoo animal for, for a second, like, you know, would you mind, you know, popping $20 into my pocket for that compliment? You know, just if you want to pat me on the head, you know, don't feed the animals. But uh, maybe that's a bad analogy to run at myself as an animal. But I think that's part of the you know, problem when we say that we need to have some equity in the change. And so 
I guess what I'd love to spend the next 15 minutes or really about 10 and a half minutes trying to figure out is, is there a way for us to structure change? I'm a, I'm a process engineer at my core, so I'm always trying to think in boxes and vectors. How do we and can we possibly funnel equity from the change to have the people who are from these communities remain in these communities? Um, while still seeing them, you know, grow and, and be beautified and, uh, and the like. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, every rezoning battle I've been in, yeah. I mean, almost every, um, involves the community actually having a rezoning plan that they support. This sure. was the case up in Inwood, for example. Is it, yeah, right, right from the bottom up. But if the community doesn't have a veto power over the proposal, sure. right, the, the developer has no incentive yeah. Right, the city has no incentive, but to to really negotiate and to give uh, community control. So if you give them the veto power now, the city and the developers they understand I have to please this community. So yeah, I'm we're gonna get our towers, but we're also gonna have to give them this, that, and the other thing, whatever that community wants. Yeah. And and that's what giving them the veto power, giving the community boards the veto power would do. Yeah, because even when I was sitting with right, Phil Simpson and, and Carla Fisk, folks we mentioned earlier uh, in Inwood, you know, I try to play a bit of devil's advocate at the very beginning and say, okay, so we get that this change is coming. It's not equitable. What can we what can we do to sort of sit between the the chambers of commerce and the community boards? Whereas the community boards are like, we want some equity, and the chambers of commerce are saying we want some change. If we're going to sort of build up, just to reference Inwood instead of Crown Heights, then certain things have to change, right? There's a there's an infrastructure investment because we know that it's pretty weak way up there. Uh, it's the least populous piece of the city. Um, but also, I think one of the core, the pillars of those that community are these different sort of resource hubs and tech hubs. In this case, they made a big spectacle out of a local library that they were going to lose for an extended period of time. And my argument wasn't necessarily, again, to them, wasn't necessarily that we uh, avoid the change for the sakes of the library, but we double the library. So what we should get is, you know, double the library back. But the library is really uh, analogous to if we're going to add an extra 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 citizens in this area, then what sort of other resources do we need? And similar to Crown Heights, maybe these two towers aren't the fix Maybe it should be a myriad of other towers, and we, you know, fortify or build on the space of that, um, the cultural assets that exist there in the, the botanical gardens. I guess my biggest problem with change in general in New York City and so many other cities is I'm not seeing how, as we produce all this productivity and all this growth, there's no mechanism to reinvest that productivity back into the community. That's right. It's That's not right. A structural thing. It, it's it, look. The money is there. Yeah. It's just not filtering out. Right. right, right. That, we that's know why the money is there. you know right. we we have this allegedly booming economy, but yeah. you got all these empty storefronts. Yeah. All right. It it doesn't make any sense, and that this because the free market is not working right now. Yeah. Right. And. Big real estate has their thumb on the scale. They have bought off the Democratic establishment from the mayor on down to the city council and even members of community boards, yeah. right, to 
favor big real estate against communities? A lot of community board members are consultants to real estate. Uh, well, anyway, you know. Yeah, well, I, but no, but this is, but keep and this is my point. Look, <laughs> I just want a fighting chance. I, yeah. I want a fighting chance for small business owners. That's why I'm working for the Small Business Job Survival Act. I want a fighting chance for community boards to have a kind of level playing field in which they can stand up to big real estate and say, we want this, that, and the other thing. And if you don't, we don't get that. Your plan isn't going to go forward, right? I want to give them that power. And I think that we can all make money. That's the thing. Yeah. Right? We can all make money, the landlords and the small business owners, right? But we have to now just sort of allow true uh, rights and power for the community. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, that's, that's spot on. It's just my biggest worry. The, the only other thing I would add is the way in which... So right now, even though half of the community board is recommended from the city council member, they don't have any actual authority. I mean, except for political authority, if they have a, a real rift with the uh, with the borough president. But I think um, mandating that it is, I mean, legally, that it is an actual partnership instead of the borough president's choice uh, would be one step towards change there. I think maybe dividing it even more might be you know, a, a bit more des- desirable. Um, but uh, right now, I think those are the only two institutions or elected offices that are, that are in play. It'd be great look, if it was four-way. Look, I'm going to work to reform the Euler process. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all about democracy. We're going to have another election, yeah. 2021. Yeah. Pay attention to your borough president races. Yeah. Most people don't even care about the borough president's races. Yeah, I don't think a right? lot of people even know that there's a borough president. They don't even know whether there's a borough president, yeah. right? Right. Pay attention to that race. Vote for somebody who promises to appoint community board members that are going to stand up to big real estate. That's just my suggestion. Yeah. Um, what do you, just to, now, now that you got me curious, what, what do you think about, uh, you have any opinion on uh, any of the borough presidents right now? <laughs> I'm just. I'm, Do I have any opinion? Too much? I don't know. I, mean, I, I haven't I, seen yeah. a single one stand up yeah. to big real estate. Okay. And one of the biggest sellouts is Gail Brewer, right? The legendary Gail Brewer. Whatever happened to Gail Brewer? Oh my. Oh. Um. Well, I mean, yeah, well, I, tell me. I don't. Yeah. I'm not. For me, I know everyone that I come across. In a lot of cases, they absolutely love Gail Brewer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I'm, I'm over here in Manhattan. I'm not dealing with Diaz and the Bronx and, you know, and all the other folks uh, you know? on the regular. You know, but, but, uh, but, she, but Gail she, hasn't been there. They, yeah. She hasn't been there. On the Elizabeth Street Garden, yeah. right, absent, supported the real estate plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on the Tech Hub, right, wasn't there when we were trying to uh, get, okay, you want that Tech Hub? Again, this is where my neighborhood in the East Village, right? Okay. You, we'll give you that Tech Hub. We'll support that Tech Hub. But we want to... A rezone university place mm. so that you don't build all these luxury towers, these huge towers that have literally destroyed what was one of my favorite blocks in New York City. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Intimate, quaint, little storefronts all over the place, right? They've destroyed it. And, and where was Gail Brewer on that? Where was Gail Brewer, you know, in, in any of these fights against big real estate, right? And now, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, She's just going along to get along. Well, yeah, she's uh, well, she's getting ready to term out, and so a lot of folks are gonna 
Yeah, jump in that race as they term out of city council. They're all terming out together. Yeah. I wonder how many city council members have run for Manhattan, bro. Hey, look. On May 2nd at the yeah. public hearing for the Elizabeth Street Garden, I, I want you know, your, your listeners to show up uh, because I'm going to be calling them all out. Right, all these would-be Manhattan Borough presidents who are on the city council, yeah. and if they vote for this, uh, getting rid of this garden, this precious green space, yeah. and a desperately needed uh, green space in the area in that in that neighborhood, well, man, there's there's going to be trouble. That that is going to sit on their record when they run for Manhattan Borough president. I would say to that um, because we do have someone here from the Sunrise Movement here in the studio, and just to that point, we're going to. Interview you all on the twenty eighth, I think it is. So, so in two weeks, we'll um, we'll bring uh, the students back from Columbia and from the Sunrise Movement. But as I move around New York, I'm hearing multiple groups at the state and municipal level sort of co op Green New Deal language to talk about how they green New York, or you know, not only just green the buildings, but multiply green spaces. Uh, aside from how we leverage energy production, et cetera, and so. And I don't know where the borough president or any of these city council members are uh, right now, except for, I think, um, council member Espinal, who's deep in Brooklyn somewhere. I'm, I'm not sure where his district starts and stops. But you would think that as the political climate changes, quite literally, um, pun intended, um, that they would be looking to expand these green spaces. Um, you would you think. Know, Except when big I mean, real estate has the, yeah. has a target and big real estate gets what it wants. And, you know, look, it's our fault. Our fault as voters in New York City. We don't turn out. We don't show up to our municipal elections. Yeah. Right. So, of course, it's going to be uh, controlled by hacks who are willing to sell out their neighborhoods. Right. So get out and vote. If you're sick of big real estate controlling the Democratic Party, vote for Democrats who are anti big real estate. I will say one thing that I'm, I've been focused on a lot lately dealing with. So there's been a proliferation of a lot of new activist groups in the sort of post-Trump era. And like I'm going to one tomorrow night called uh, Harlem Indivisible. And there are a lot of, you know, relatively, you know, I think, new to Harlem politics. And they are not all new to Harlem. There's some very old residents there. But to be very blunt about it, these are not the Harlem black and Puerto Rican uh, elected and Democratic club folks. These are, you know, white folks mostly. I think out of the few dozen people who are there, I may have seen, you know, three brown people there the whole time. And But they're a great group, and I'm trying to encourage them to integrate with the existing political infrastructure because you're right about that we don't turn out to vote. I mean, we in general, New Yorkers in general, but it's most cities in general. Um, and it's because of how media uh, fails to market what's happening with local elections. But in this post-Trump era, era with you know, the, all the new marching, whether it's for our lives or for women or for black lives or for climate or you name it, there's a lot of new participants, people that I've never seen in politics before, yeah. who I think we have an opportunity to filter them into the party. It's very encouraging, but very encouraging. Work, but yeah. my frustration is that people are so focused on Trump yeah. You know, Trump was the best thing that ever happened to Bill de Blasio because yeah. he could just beat the drum about how he's anti-Trump mm. and he could fool everybody into thinking he's some great progressive voice right. while he sells out yeah. left and right this community after that went to big real estate. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I think 
we're 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 just about up. Uh, but before we go, let us know where we can find you and more of your work on online. Yeah. What should we be Googling? What should we be typing in our Well, browser? I think my, my website for my public advocate campaign yeah. is still up there. So public advocate Eisenbach, uh, like my Facebook page, uh, and really, really important. Get out and vote. Call your Congress uh, or your city council member. Email them. Tell them to vote for the Small Business Job Survival Act, SBJSA. We need it now, right now. Yep. All right, folks. So with that said, um, we're going to head out of here and see you next Sunday. Gucci like to slam. That was very abrupt. We'll get better at this. Right now we're just having fun. Gucci like to sway. Gucci like to come down in these starches every day. Gucci like to play. Gucci like to play.